Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. This is Ed Sheen for Colony Confidential. This is Joe Sauce. We're honored today to have Larry Schaefer from Insperity. Larry, welcome. Thank you. Oh, it's great to be here and I'm looking forward to, to our time together. Larry's going to be talking about a bunch of stuff from mental health to the X Factor <laughs> and having it all. But I guess let's just start with your upbringing. Where are you from? Born, raised. It's interesting you ask that question because that really does roll into part of what I'm going to get to in regards to personal performance and professional performance. But the reality is I grew up in a very humble household, grew up on the West Coast in Seattle. And my parents were, I would just say, quiet, simple, simple people. This may be difficult for some people to believe, but I cannot remember either of my parents ever raising their voices. Okay. We never had any yelling, never had any screaming. Kind of Joe, you being raised with Ed, right? I mean, it's just... Yeah, exactly. No screaming. (laughs) (laughs) My dad was a staff accountant and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And it was a great childhood. There were four of us kids. And my dad, I think he probably was a staff accountant for 30 years. He wasn't the kind to get promotions. He wasn't the kind to put himself out there or anything like that. My older brother ended up dropping out of high school. And you probably remember the time of the late 60s, early 70s, psychedelic drugs and alcohol. And my brother dealt with those kind of things. Fortunately, he's been sober now for 35 years. He's probably one of the nicest people you could ever meet. But his highest paying job that he ever had was driving a school bus. And he was as happy as can be. And I'm only sharing all that because there's this incredible contrast between the drive that I somehow had within a family of a complete introvert, very simple life, very happy life. And I'm not criticizing them in the least. I love my family and I wouldn't trade the way that I was raised at all. But where in the world did I get this drive to want to get into corporate America and succeed? I still scratch my head sometimes and wonder. It was several years ago when my two daughters were teenagers. We went and visited home in Seattle and all the family was there. And we left, went to the airport. And my daughters go, where did you come from? You bring up a good point about your brother. We used to have a pest control association in New York City. We now merged with the state. But at one of the meetings, it was this guy there. I'm not going to mention his name. I would say he wasn't running on all eight cylinders, but nice yeah. guy. And someone yeah. said to me, like, what do you think that guy makes a year? I don't know, 70,000. You can imagine that. Like, hey, how do you know he's not happier than us? Yes, exactly. He got his little niche and he's happy in his little niche. Exactly. So he's got two daughters and a wife that's a teacher. Yeah. So you know what? He goes out, he does his thing. And... Every time I see him, he's smiling. So Exactly. I'm just sharing that to say that there was something inside of me. I remember a particular time, I think I was about 16 years old, and we were in a circle at our church youth group, and they said, hey, let's everybody share what's one word that describes you. And they started going around, and I started to feel this pit in my stomach because when it came to me, I just said, I'm average, mediocre, whatever. I came from a family that's not going to be high achievers or anything like that. And I remember I just made a mental shift that day that I may be very average, God willing, I'm hopefully will achieve great things someday. And I don't know, there's just been a a drive in me that really pushed me forward. And I'm grateful for that. But I also would never criticize 
someone like you just said, Ed, that has a happy and content life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he found his spot. Yeah, found his spot. He's not up at two o'clock in the morning and trying to write proposals for the city or something. <laughs> I think that's what it all boils down to, right? Your happiness and hopefully not getting caught up with keeping up with the Joneses and in entrepreneurial space or in business space, the Joneses would be the competitions. Like he just said, being happy in your own skin and your own lane. And if your lane is the fast lane, then that's where you're happy and you're constantly pushing. I just had a moment like, I'm going to enjoy this because prior to that, I was on to the next new goal, whatever it was. And I didn't stop in a moment to even acknowledge the achievement or, oh, we did. This is good. In my case, as you get older, yeah. You start thinking, oh man, if I'd have did this, I would have got that account. And I should have did. And then you got to sit back and say, wait a minute, what about this? What about that? I said, you're not getting all the marbles in the game, but you get enough that fine, happy with what you got. So Good. you got to come to that understanding with yourself. But the things have changed have. a bit in, in business and pest control, too. This is me. These employees got more rights than you. It wasn't that way when I was running the company. Yeah. You know, you did your job, you got paid, you got a bonus here and there, you got fired. Yeah. You know, there's no in-between. Now it's... There's a lot of gray matter nowadays. But it's good to get this contrast because it certainly worked in that time frame. It just doesn't work in today's world. Work-life balance has been a hot term for, I don't even know, 12, 15 years, right? Yeah. And as entrepreneurs and business owners and employers, for yeah. better or for worse, it's what you need to do to be successful. And I would say eight years ago, we made a shift from customer focus to team member focus because we realized if the team was extremely happy, we didn't really need to worry about the customer satisfaction piece because it would just be generic. And, it, and it's true. You absolutely nailed it. I started reading some of that research a little while ago. And, and it's a simple, it's a simple, happy employees will produce happy customers. Loyal employees will produce loyal customers. And in our old school mindset, Ed, thinking back of like just focusing on your employees, your team members, rather than your clients. I don't know, that was really foreign to me in our early days, but a, a big movement today is looking at the employee experience from the beginning and all the way through. When I was breaking into the business, I worked for this guy and he said to me, I know you're going to go into your own business someday, but you got to take care of the horses that are pulling the wig. So with everything you just said, humble beginnings, how do you end up in this space of speaking about personal performance? The first word that I'll say is insecurity drove me towards it. So let me explain. When I graduated from college, I went into youth ministry. So for about my first 10 years as an adult, I worked with high school kids and junior high kids in a church setting. So I did that for 10 years and it was a great experience. But about age 32, I decided I, I wanted to transition into business and it was time to do that. So I was starting 10 years after most everybody else was starting out. So I'd say when I got my first sales job, it was insecurity driving me in that regard. I had to approach it with what are the tools I can implement to get me some momentum and to catch up with everybody else. And one of the questions I asked, which some people get a little upset when I throw this question out, but I got to be honest with you, this is a question as I got into the business world and I began to look around at the landscape, 
I asked this question and it certainly relates to corporate America, which I was pursuing. I said, why is it that some people who are been working for 20 years, some of them make 50,000 a year and others make a million dollars a year or 2 million a year or in corporate America, you got those CEOs, why are they making 5 million a year? And it wasn't a statement of being happy or money is the most important thing in the world. It was just really, I was scratching my head saying, what are the differences between how they think and how they act and their mindset and how they treat people or whatever that allows them to grow into such an area that they can make high amounts of income. And so I looked at that almost like in a lab, in a study lab, not that making millions of dollars was necessarily my goal, but I wanted to understand that difference. And I wanted to prepare myself to be a high contributor to create a lot of value in the marketplace. And so that's the first thing that really drove me. And so I began to break down those principles, Joe, going back to your question of what are some of the key principles of high performance that really separates low performers from high performers. That makes sense? Yeah. I think getting back to you talking about your parents, very nice people. My mother was the driving force. My parents came from Ireland, America, do better. You got a chance here and they were going to get you educated. And, and then you know, as a kid, you get in trouble. My mother was pretty quick with her hands. My father would talk to you. He had these piercing blue eyes. Always in a calm voice. I really appreciate if you would stop doing that. And then say, oh, God, okay, that's done with. They can't, they can't yeah. do anything now. <laughs> he just asked me in a nice way. I worked in a bank. And when I left the bank and told her I'm going to be an exterminator, you hit the bottom of the barrel. Rat catcher. You're nothing but a rat catcher now. And my father came home. She goes, I'm going to have your father talk to you. And he just tell me about it. I told him I'm making more money than making in a bank. And I think someday I'll own my own business. He goes, okay, go for it. But if you know you can't make it, don't go down with the ship. And in an Irish family, you got three sons. One has to be a priest. One has to make a lot of money. And one has to work for the city. So it was my brother, Michael. He did very well. My brother yeah. went to work in the police department. And my mother, and now there's you. You got two out of three, Bob. Be happy. Be pretty good if you're a baseball player. Anyway, when I went into business, she's the one who answered the phone because I used her phone at home. And she got into it after a while. I looked in your sock drawer. I said, yeah, there was almost $1,000 there. I said, yeah, just leave it there. I, I, you never know. After several years later, I learned maybe some of it in the bank, but you got to put some in the stock market too. And I know it's not doing well now, but this is the third time I went through this. And you just yeah. hold on. It'll come back. Yeah. So we all come from humble beginnings. So Larry, what do you think family-owned businesses, small businesses, entrepreneurs are lacking as far as having it all? First, Joe, I've grown up in corporate America, but I just have the highest regard for entrepreneurs, okay? For you guys and for the listeners, you all are really the champions of our economy. There's no doubt about it. But as far as having it all, that's an interesting question because what exactly is having it all, right? We might have thought several years ago that Robin Williams had it. And I just heard this week that his mom 
in the early days said that you should quit comedy and be a plumber. That's what her advice was. And who knows, maybe if he had become a plumber, he might be alive and happy today. I don't know. But we just got to be careful when we say, what does it mean to, to have it all? I was uh, you know, same question. What is all? Yeah, what is all? Actually, this is what helped me. And going back to my early days, this is what I did in detail and wrote it down. So I take some of my coaching clients through this six-phase process of aspirations, okay? Aspirations are different than goals. Goals have set timeframes, set outcomes, set results. Aspirations are just taking a little bit of time to put your head up in the clouds, to forget about all your doubts and all the negative voices in your head and just aspire to to do and to be and to accomplish great things. And so I take them through these six steps as what are your family aspirations? What are your career aspirations, your financial aspirations, your spiritual aspirations, your aspirations to give and contribute and to give back, and then your bucket list aspirations. And to me, that kind of helps put it all down on paper and give the right kind of perspective that will keep you in balance. And then you set your values that you're committed to, your governing values, and they become your rumble strips on your journey. You know how when you go off to the side of the road and it starts to rumble? When you got your values in place and your balanced aspirations, when you start to get greedy or you start going sideways, those cemented values will bring you back and let you know you're going down the wrong path. Yeah, it's basically like what Ed was saying earlier, the guy that was a one person operation and was happy. So did he have yeah. it all? Probably. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's all, if I understand what you're saying, it makes a ton of sense. All is what you decide all is, right? And look at it holistically. This is what we started talking about earlier. It's not just about work. It's not just about making money. It's about having the vision of what your family can be and the relationships within your family, other important relationships about how much you contribute back to the areas in your community that are important to you. And even having some time for that bucket list type of aspirations as well and, and moving towards that. Remember, like we talked about, taking time to enjoy our success and not just moving on to the next goal that you might have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always a struggle because even taking time to enjoy stuff. Yeah. We're about to get into the heavy travel season for our industry for events. For years, when I started doing this, I'm away for almost four weeks on and off from October through March. And because I was away from the business, I would take less personal time probably 10 years ago because I felt guilty with those four weeks, there was a time where I decided I need to create my business in such a way that it can operate without me. And that's the goal. And I dare say that we've been there for about six years now. And it's, it's a liberating experience. It's a good point because after a while, it just builds up. And I had a thing, I got to blow off the stink. And I started with a week in Barbados and wound up I was there for the month of February and everybody that worked for me, no, don't screw up. Don't ruin anything. Cause if you don't go away in February, it's going to be hell. It's, you just let yourself go. Yeah. Sometimes you drink too much, but who cares? It was just a great time. And you come back, you're all invigorated and stuff like that. So yeah, time off is uh, pulling to the side of the road, not in a bad way. We're getting off in an orderly way and we're going to come back refreshed. And well, it's a reset. It's yeah. a reset. Like I find I need, 
to, to enjoy a full seven days vacation, I probably need to take 12 because it takes two or three days yeah. to get off of that, the constant craziness and to unwind. And then no matter what, about two or three days before you're done, your head is already back in the game, getting ready. Eight years ago, my son fell in the pool on vacation and I jumped in and my phone was fried and it took five days for me to get one ship to the island. And it was the single best five day vacation I ever had in my life. That's probably true. After that trip, I came home and I told all my managers, when you go away, you cannot take your company phone, turn your email off. I even got at that time what we called a burner phone for the company that each manager took on vacation in case of an emergency. And only I had the number and I've never planned on calling, but that is needed to turn off, to get the reset. Hey, speaking of aspirations, let me ask you a question. It sounds like at some point you made a decision or you set an aspiration that your business would be able to run well without you being there. Okay. And I don't think all entrepreneurs necessarily take the time to really plan for that or to think about that and begin to execute on that. Sometimes they have a hard time getting out of the mindset of being an operator, of being a technician because they're good at it, as opposed to really setting that aspiration. And once you set that aspiration, you may feel like, hey, I'm buried in the day-to-day stuff right now. But when you start to envision that and even write it down, it's almost amazing the way that little steps will take you there. Little decisions will be a little bit different because you're going down that path. Did that happen to you guys? i tell you, now that you mention it, I had to get the right people in place because I knew the guys that I had. Some of them were really good technicians, but I took two days off once I don't know what I do. People are yelling at me. (laughs) Okay, I'll tell the guy I'll be there in an hour. So that that set me off. So we did a lot of healthcare. And I remember there was this one hospital and I got friendly with the executive housekeeper and they were going to bring in an outside company and he's got to do that. So I said, if you don't mind, what do you pay? What are you getting paid? I said, I can match that. I can probably give you just as good health insurance. I don't know. So he's working for me on Saturday and he called me one day as I'll go for you. Good technician. I'm bringing him along. And I said, you know what? You could run this office. You were in, the, you were in this thing here. You now are out in the field enough. So you know what the guys are going through and what the customers expect. I said, now I need another guy that's better. So I got yeah. another guy from the nursing home. And once I got those two guys in place and brought them up, then it was, uh, I left February 1st. It better be important if you call me down. You got to get the right people in place. You do. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's what it's about. You make the conscious decision to do it and then you move forward. It could be baby steps. It could be giant steps. But I think the other piece that a lot of smaller businesses, certainly small entrepreneurs struggle with is realizing that there are smarter people out there that we can hire to do jobs. Maybe you're not a good spokesperson, right? So hire somebody with good speaking skills to represent your company. Or if you're not, you're probably still a decent salesman. But for me, I'm pretty good with the finances, but I have a number where we hit and I know I got to hire a CFO. And I know he's going to be smarter or she's going to be smarter than me in that aspect. My job as the entrepreneur or the business owner is just to manage them 
which once you manage people, it doesn't matter if you manage a guy making a gazillion dollars or a person making a dollar. It's the same way. You got to manage them. You have checks and balances in place. But I think that's one of the biggest struggles for smaller business owners is realizing, one, you cannot do it all and grow. If you're happy in that one place where you're doing it all, fine. But if you want to grow, you have to hire correctly and you're going to have to hire people that are quote unquote smarter than you. Yeah, exactly. I agree. My day, my number two guy was a street smart guy, but knowledgeable. And he, he had some executive skills because he ran this this division in a hospital. Joey's number two guy got an MBA from Quinnipiac College. I'm like, I would have never thought of that. College guys? They <laughs> <laughs> know. But it, that's another thing. I was in this documentary about rats. I don't know if you heard of it, but what I loved about the documentary was it wasn't just on rats and exterminate. It was, you saw all these scientists that are backing us up now. When I came in 67, just take this thing and spray it and throw some stuff. So the business has changed so much for the better. We have so much more knowledge backing us up now that we can dip into and absorb it. Yeah. That's great. So you said that you listened to the most recent episode. I think we, we touched on the mental health piece for entrepreneurs in there. And one of the interesting things about it, Ed had never really heard that term when he was in business, even though he was still doing stuff, there was no conscious thought of mental health and wellness. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say I'm, I've been old school as well. Back in the day, it'd be like, suck it up, grind it out, keep going. Get on with it. Yeah, don't be a wussy. Come on. And and so that was the mindset in many ways. But I want to tell you a story that really made it real to me. So I've been married for 40 years to my wife, Lee. We just had our 40th in August. And we have had a fascinating 40-year relationship. It's been ups and downs and fiery and all kinds of things. And what we found is that when we go to counseling together, good things come out of it. Okay. We've had what we'd say over our 40 years, we've had two specific counselors that we'd say have saved our lives and helped us communicate and keep us together. Anyway, one day we were scheduled to go. And on that morning, something came up and Lee couldn't be there. And she called me and said, I can't go today. And she goes, we can't cancel because our counselor had that time and that's how she gets paid. You got to go. I go, I'm fine. I don't need it. I go, She goes, you have to go. You can't leave her high and dry. So I go in, I'm feeling good. I'm a happy, adjusted person. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. But anyway, she asked a couple of questions and I talked the entire time for an hour straight. (laughs) Okay. And that one hour flew by like 10 or 15 minutes. I think during that time I laughed, I cried, I had all kinds of emotions. And I walked out of there going, there's a lot of crap here inside my head that I didn't acknowledge and I didn't totally realize and just having a safe place where I can go and talk and get it all out. And that makes a huge difference. So when we talk about mental health, don't try to be a tough guy, find someone you can talk to. And it has really changed my life. Yeah. I, and it, it's funny because there is the whole uh, macho thing in, in general, certainly swimming with sharks in a business world and as an entrepreneur, 
that used to always be seen as a weakness. Any type of emotion other than anger or aggression, which is anger, was always seen as a weakness. And I think that tide is changing slowly, but I couldn't agree with you more. It's almost like an ignorance thing, right? Like you said, you I'm well adjusted, I'm good. And then you went in and it happened. And from that moment on, you can't ignore, oh, I, I should really talk to someone on a regular basis because that other person is trained to get that out of you with the right questions. It's helpful, but it is very difficult to get males, men, certainly Gen, what am I? Gen X? What am I? Pain in the ass. Yeah, pain in the ass. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever my generation is, Generation X, I think, we are still very much raised by the baby boomers. But I think the next generation, the millennials and, and everything behind them, hopefully will be better at it. And then there's the line, right? Like, how do we balance it? Do we go too far where every single thing is an emotional issue? Or can we just have a proper balance? And again, back to having it all. For the entrepreneur, it's to to it's the balance. It is. And I, I was thinking that right before you said it. To me, it's the balance. It's like we still can't give up on the fact that good old-fashioned hard work is always what we need to be doing as well. But there's there is this right balance of acknowledging that uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on inside our heads and our hearts, and it's very healthy to have. An, an avenue by which you can get it out of your head and verbally get it out there or get it down in writing. It really makes a big difference. Yeah. And I, so I definitely have hope for my children They're 10 and 12. My son is 10 and we, of course, where we come from, we uh, abuse, we like to abuse. We like to bust chops. So my son is at that age where he's looking at the young girls, but he still says he doesn't like girls. Right. Yeah. So I, I grew up being teased by my own family for the same stuff because that was what was natural. So I started, I did it to my son and he said, daddy, I really don't like when you do that. It makes me feel embarrassed. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I would have never been able to articulate that at 10 years old. No. Joey was working for me part-time in the summer and the guys were goofing on it. All and, the time. Yeah. All so the so that was it. Well, he said, came to me, he said, I don't think they like me. I go, no, they like you. Because if they didn't like you, they wouldn't talk to you. I said, well, you could go back at them. So one yeah. of the guys was dating this very robust woman. Anyway, I went back at that. We don't need to tell that story. Okay. <laughs> but I was given the green light. And being that I was raised by him and grew up with wolves, yeah, I became one of the guys at 12 years old, but still wasn't able, certainly not at 10 or 12 years old. If I had an emotion, I just did my best to push it down and not pay attention to it. But to what I was saying about my son, for him to be able to say that to me as at 10 was amazing. I was like, all right, I'm not going to tease you anymore. You don't like it. But I was never, I was never, whatever the right word is, strong enough to say that to my father or even my brother. The way I said it to my brother was I punched him in the face. That was our, I don't like this, instead of just verbalizing it. So all that to say, I have hope and all of these things that some of us looked at 10 years ago as hunky-dory or hokey are real and are legitimate. And even my number two, when I had the epiphany of taking care of the team, he was even like, are you sure? He didn't fully buy into it right away. Thankfully, he's always trusted my vision. So he did it. And, he, and we immediately saw retention go up. We saw hiring go up. We just thought you saw a change. And he even came to me and was like, I didn't think this was legit, but it's legit.
And it's not difficult to do that, to, to make your people happy. And some people you can never make happy. And at that point, that's just a natural churn. Yeah. So what do you do when you're burned out? How do you handle that? That is another great question. I will say just, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I woke up, went to bed about 9.30, woke up at midnight, and I had a million things running through my head. And sometimes it's just better to get up. And this is what I did. I remember that night I got up, sat down here at my home office and took out a legal pad and just started writing out all the things I needed to do and all the things I was thinking about, the things that I was anxious about. So to me, the first step is, is doing that. It goes back to what I said about the counseling. It's like getting it out of your head. And in this case, down on paper is the first step, I believe, towards working through burnout. Then I think the second step, it goes back to what we said about counselor, what maybe it might be a coach or someone that you can really talk through and break down what is the real root cause, what's really the core of what is causing the burnout and see if you can break it down, analyze it, and then just realize you can't just jump right, right back up to complete happiness and perfection. It's going to be one step at a time but at least you can begin to feel like you're making progress. Okay. Paper, paper, right. You could put it in your phone too. Okay. Yeah, I will. When I we, have, so I say that because it's a very busy retiree. Yeah. And in between adventures, not retired, whatever. So when, I'm, when, when we have these meetings and we're, we're doing production meetings for the podcast, I'm like, all right, let's get our calendars out. And he's like, I'll call you when I get home because the calendar is still on his fridge and it's paper and it's all written in. And I'm like, I send you these things on your phone. They pop up. You got a calendar there. It's so easy. And it's right in your hand. I like my paper. All right. <laughs> I can't erase the paper like I put it in the phone. Oh God, I just erased what I put in. Well, you got to tell me when you erase it because it's backed up. There's this thing called IT. We pay a ton of money to make sure that we could get anything. I could probably get the JFK murder documents if we really tried. <laughs> Once again, going back to what we said, I wouldn't take the sense of burnout casually. I wouldn't just say, just grind it out and keep on going, but get it out of your head first on paper and then find someone that you can talk through and analyze it. It's a real thing and you don't want it to wipe you out. I couldn't agree more. Just being able to understand your emotions, what you're feeling. If you're burned out and you don't understand why, that's the beginning piece. And then to write it down, what you want to do. So we've done at Colony all of these different trainings to better the team. So one that we just started, it's called Jin Shin Jitsu. Mm. I hope I'm saying it. It's basically, it's a calming. But you're supposed to grab your finger, feel for your pulse, and take three deep breaths. And each finger represents a different feeling or emotion. And what I found when we've done similar type of trainings for my leadership team or my teams is it gives the team a construct that they now have in common and they share and they understand. And when tension arises, you can call together, you can call back on, hey, remember that training we did? Remember how we can approach it? And it brings them together because they have a common language or a common construct to help them work through those kind of issues. So taking the time to do that training and then create that camaraderie among your team, that, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, and again, it's, it's, it's completely out of the box for us. 
But I think it's one of those things. You have to embrace it no matter how awkward it is. And I always like to think the more awkward it is for you, probably the more you should embrace it because it's just out of your comfort zone. My comfort zone is uncomfortable. How about you? I didn't want to sit still. I, and I got a lot of friends. They're all talking about aches and pains. And I keep, we got to keep moving. Keep because going. This way they can't catch it. They, who's after you? I don't know, but they've been chasing me my whole life. But keep moving. I'm okay. I love so, it. Besides that, a new thing is presented to you. That's very stimulating in a lot of ways. Like first you might say, ah, Jesus. And then you start to think about it. Wait a minute. Short term, it might be a pain in the butt, but I think long term, we might see some really good. So you just got to sometimes back up and look at things really well before you dismiss them because they're too much trouble. Well, you got to have an open mind for sure. We could talk about this for hours and days. There's just so much to cover. Is there anything you could share for those interested in starting to activate their X factor today. I've talked about it a lot and I'm going to go back to it again, but I think that if you can, if the listeners can take some time to get totally by themselves, even if it's just 30 minutes and I call it, stick your head in the clouds and begin to think aspirationally about your future and realize that as you think about it and as you write it down, you don't have to show it to anybody. Okay. Because that can hold people back sometimes. Fight the negative voices in your head. Don't think about what you have to give up in order to get there. Just give yourself a gift and just dream big about the kind of business that you want to lead, the kind of person you want to be, the kind of rewards you want to enjoy, the, the joy that can come to your family, especially if things are difficult right now in your family. And just begin to really think aspirationally. And as I mentioned before, it can be aspirations related to your family, your career, your finances, spiritual aspirations, how you want to contribute and give back to the society. And then that last one, the bucket list aspirations. So do yourself a gift. Yeah, I, I, it's almost like setting the end goal and reverse engineering it all. It is. That's exactly what happens. And what's really cool about the power of aspirations is that it creates a new journey. It helps you to make better decisions. And it's cliche, but it's almost like you begin to have a better journey and it's not just all about the achievements, okay? And having those big aspirations really really make a difference in that regard. And I think the key, and we spoke about it earlier, is they're your aspirations. It's not what others and what they said they wanted. It's gotta be true to you. And I think another key piece too is it's constantly being tweaked to a certain extent. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's kind of like the end in my, what's the first thing you do, Joe, when you get in your car and you're going to go to a location that you've never been before and you don't know where it is. I put it in my GPS. You put it in your GPS, right. And the power of your GPS is useless until you put the destination in there. Right. And then it directs you towards the end goal. That's exactly why these aspirations are so important. That's a phenomenal analogy. That was the best part of this conversation for me. You do GPS now? I use GPS and I do put dates in my phone, but I do put it on my calendar as well to back me up. 
once again, I'm just honored to be able to speak to entrepreneurs, really have the highest regard and respect for everything that uh, all of you do. And I'm a recipient here of uh, small and medium-sized businesses because that's who we serve here at Insperity. And if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. Just thank you so much. Mr. and Mrs. American Autoship Cincy, Ed Sheehan for Colony Confidential. All I can tell you is you got to listen to this episode because really great. I think it would help you quite a bit. It's helped me quite a bit. And Mr. and Mrs. America, Lord of Ships at Sea, until we meet again, God bless you.